The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, FA Cup third round featuring shocks galore. Newcastle get a first from Cambridge and still drop out, while Kinnaminster Reading sees Royals get into trouble with minor opposition. Nothing topical about that. We've got all the news from the third round, plus what happened in AFCON and WSL this weekend, and a look ahead to midweek Premier League action too. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Monday, the 10th of January. Listener, thank you for joining us. Uh, Daniel Story is with us, Adrian Clark as well, and also Lindsay Hooper. Hello to you all. Hello. Hello. Hi there. Wow, what a weekend, eh? What a weekend. Lindsay, you were at the shock of the weekend, which is at the, uh, the, the Birmingham City Arsenal match, which we'll talk about a, a little bit later. Daniel, meantime, you were at the, uh, the Forest game. I was, yes. The first time I've ever... When I started work, I kind of tried to decide that I would never go in the press box at Forest. I'd try and keep it separate. So this is the first time I'd ever been in it. Oh. Um, and, yeah, I might make a habit of it. It seems to bring some sort of good luck. Right. Although, did you need good luck against that Arsenal team? Adrian? Well, they didn't need any luck at all. No, Arsenal got what they deserved. Did not show up for the game. Um, zero appetite for, for the battle. And they, they got exactly... What they deserved. It was just a remarkably low quality performance from an Arsenal team that, that has been in pretty good nick of late. It's um, hard to explain, really, but but well done, Forrest. Really hard to explain. There was so much promise here, Adrian. I mean, I saw um, Charlie Patino getting his first start. I thought, oh, that, that's some good news. Ben White playing because um, I didn't know whether they might rest and, and change things up in defence. And Nketiah got a hat-trick in the League Cup, didn't he? And I thought, oh, you know, him playing, you'll you'll probably get a goal. I don't understand what went wrong. Was it the white shirts? I know it's all for well, a good cause. but no, that, Was it the on? fact they were playing two-time European champions, Nottingham Forest? <laughs> team very much. One of the coming sides, eh, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, Forest. I thought the first half was pretty poor, actually. I thought Forest were kind of almost trying to size up where Arsenal were at and Arsenal had a lot of the ball but right throughout the game and even after they fell behind Arsenal seemed to think that having possession of the ball would magically lead to them creating clear-cut chances and they didn't have a shot on target all match and it, it just seemed after about 60-65 minutes that Forrest realised that this was Arsenal on that day that they weren't going to try and push forward they weren't going to try and expose them at the back and Ketcher against Steve Cook should have been a mismatch in terms of pace but they never tried to exploit it they tried to play crosses into the box which Forrest comfortably headed out and yeah Forrest realised that there was something for the for the taking here or something for the grabbing um, because yeah Brennan Johnson wins the ball in midfield plays it to Ryan Yates uh, kind of odd that those two players were in those positions they should have been in, in you know in, in each other's position but Yates plays a lovely ball into the box and grabbing scores and every football fan thinks this but you go ahead against a better team after 83 minutes and you think right there's going to be a siege here now and there wasn't even that. Even in stoppage time, Ben White was kind of slowly passing the ball across the back. They got a free kick and took about 25 seconds over it. It was as if they weren't bothered, which given Arsenal's likely, you know, end of season trophy haul is remarkable to me. I couldn't believe how low key and kind of soporific they were. Mm. Well, we might come back to that game a little bit later on. That that was the only upset in a in a round packed with them that was actually televised. Uh, let's run through one or two of the other top stories. Sixth tier Kidderminster beating Reading. A 
as we referenced before, 2-1. It was 2-1 for League 2 Hartlepool as they beat Blackpool. 18-year-old Joel Gray scoring the winner two minutes after coming on. 2-1 as well for Championship side Huddersfield as they came from behind to beat Burnley just as they did on their way to winning the FA Cup 100 years ago. Burnley, by the way, haven't won a game since October. National League Boreham Wood beat AFC Wimbledon 2-0 to reach the fourth round for the first time in their history. The Wood have yet to concede. And Cambridge United, 16th in League One, beat the richest club on the planet, Newcastle, 1-0. Newcastle, one of four Premier League sides to go out so far. Arsenal, uh, Watford, who lost at Leicester. Leeds, who were down by West Ham. And you got Man United Villa coming up on Monday night. All right, then. Should we, should we do the shocks, first of all? Should we start with perhaps the biggest shock of all? The massive Kidderminster's 2-1 win over Reading. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Fourth round, we haven't been back in 35 years. But we're doing it now, baby. Yep, Kitty are massive, but how big an upset was this uh, result, Adrian? It was very big. Yeah, huge difference in league positions between the two sides. Obviously, it's second tier against sixth. They are full time, so this isn't a group of builders and and, and, and people that, that have got jobs in the week. They, they're a full time club, so not quite the same as it as it would have been in in yesteryear. Reading are in a bit of a mess, so it was one of those fixtures where you. You shouldn't be altogether shocked by what you saw. He also made eight changes, Velko Paunovic, which is a gamble when your first team aren't in great form either. And, and what I just loved about this game was was the nature of the goals, really. Um, it, it, in front of the sort of packed ranks of kiddie fans, you got the goalkeeper basically crumbling, Raphael. It was a, a, an absolutely horrendous mistake for the first. And then the second one... The second one was the perfect giant killing goal, wasn't it? In terms of let's whip it in under the crossbar, ask questions of these southern softies of Reading, and uh, and and they did they did crumble. It was the keeper again, wasn't it? I think I think he might have been fouled, but but that goes against the the spirit of giant killing, doesn't it? So we're, mm. so we're prepared to to let them off. But yeah, just the nature of the two goals um, summed up the occasion for me. I was amazed that, that that winning goal was given, but I'm you know, delighted, with due respect to Reading fans, that, that it was. Sorry, Lindsay. Kidderminster aren't far from where I grew up, actually. So I know a couple of Kiddy fans, and they are massive, James. I mean, they are very <laughs> passionate supporters. Uh, I think you've got a polarised approach to this game, and I think that ultimately handed them a giant killing opportunity because Reading made it clear, didn't they, with the changes that they made, that the priority is trying to stay in the championship. And then that was their, if you like, their distraction. Whilst Kidderminster had about 20 plus days to prepare for this game. So you can just imagine them going out on the training pitch. This is what we've got to do. We've just got to beat Reading, beat Reading, beat Reading. Reading have got all these other things going on. So it did open up a really good opportunity. And the credit goes because they did it. You know, it's it's like Adrian said, it was the perfect goal, that one under the crossbar uh, that we expect to see in the FA Cup. I, I can't wait now to watch them again because I think they are the team that a lot of people have latched themselves onto. We all do this in the FA Cup, don't we? We pick one of the minnows to try and follow. And I think we'll be hard pushed to say that there aren't as many people behind Kiddy as everyone else now. Right. Well, their next round, they are the lowest ranked team in the FA Cup, fifth right now in the National League North. We'll see them host 
West Ham in round four. Do you think that one will actually get televised, Daniel? <laughs> yes, I do think that one will be televised. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, it did annoy me this weekend, the, the television shows. I get it. I get the fact that a terrestrial broadcasters have to get bums on seats. Uh, they also have to show willing that they can host big team A against big team B because there's a kudos that comes with that. We also have to remember that not everyone has a Sky Sports or BT Sport subscription and therefore they maybe don't get to watch West Ham reserves against Leeds reserves every week. And, um, you know, my sympathy is with them for that. But um, I, I, I honestly, I believe that there should be a, an enforced way of... of Televising yes. games in the FA Cup. Enforced. I think they should ban all Premier League ties in the yeah, third agreed. round. Yeah, agreed. And that, yeah. but that, and that has to come with a change in how they uh, divvy out TV money for those games. Because if you're a non-league club like Kidderminster and your game wasn't on television, the reward in in the FA Cup is is partly prize money, but it's also TV money. And yes, they're going to get the TV game against West Ham, but the way they've played, they deserve two. They deserve their the Reading game to have been on telly as well. I don't know what the answer is. T- very typically, I had a big opinion and don't have every answer to back it up. But um, <laughs> I-, I think either you either you sort a way of having an FA player, as they do for quite often for the WSL, where you can watch games on, on the FA player, mm. or we have a-, a way of manufacturing TV ties so it isn't West Ham. I, I get the Man United Villa argument. I don't get West Ham Leeds as an argument. I don't. See yeah, but would you have? Would you have? Would you have tuned in genuinely for, for Kidderminster v Reading? Like I know in hindsight it's easy to say that, but it's not a glamour tie. I wouldn't have imagined it would have. It would no, have drawn in a huge, a huge domestic audience. So from from the TV company's point of view, just for balance, they their priority is is to get the most eyes on these yeah. games. Um, yeah, I get. So, yeah. I, I totally understand that. To be fair, Edge, and it's just that if you have. Can, if you have the rights to the FA Cup, let's show what makes the FA Cup great. And to me, West Ham beating Leeds at home isn't what makes the FA Cup great. The fact that right. that, that game and Man U Villa are both on TV in the Premier League next weekend doesn't help either. But yeah, I, I just I just think they missed a trick there. Mm. Even if Leeds fielded a midfield that featured uh, clickbait and cock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much like a Sunday sport front page. That midfield. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Would you would you have tuned in for non-league side Boreham Wood and their clash uh, with AFC Wimbledon, Daniel? Uh, I don't. I, I actually don't think that was a, a huge shock at all. No? Boreham Wood are in great form at the moment. They're a kind of outlier in the National League in that the National League has effectively over the last couple of years become a kind of League Three with you know the money at certain clubs, Wrexham obviously, Stockport, and the very recent. EFL sides in in Notts County and and Chesterfield who are top of the league at the moment so Boreham Wood are are mixing it with those sides so I don't think this was a huge shock actually Um, Mm. I I looked at the odds before the game and I was surprised it was it was basically the odds were just about level because Boreham Wood are in great form and they're at home and and yeah they they, (laughs) from the highlights I saw they had it pretty easy I think the point being, though, Daniel, as well, is that not every Premier League team that was playing a lower league team was televised. So maybe if you just make that the staple, I understand what you're saying in terms of bums on seats and Mm. and trying to get the viewers. But if you've got one Premier League team and we all want to see that potential upset and we've seen some happen. So I I think that's more of the argument rather than choosing, would we choose Boreham Wood against AFC Wimbledon? Yeah, we can understand the TV producers maybe not going down that route, but I would like to see all all the other matchups. 
Yeah, I think I think it works so much better when the minnow is at home. I really do because it's just that that bit more um, of a chance for them. Take Chelsea v Chesterfield for example. Would the national audience have been that interested in in that? Just seeing Chelsea wipe the floor with with the best non league t- side in the country this season. I was working um, uh, for Talksport on the day. I was at the Hull Everton game, and we were on Talksport too, and. Because it was yeah, so one sided. No, yeah. because it was so one sided. Chelsea v Chesterfield. Halfway through the second half, they flipped it. So oh, we. Right. So our oh, game, right. our game at Hull v Everton became the main game on Talksport too. They went with the story. Um, yeah, but maybe, maybe there's a possibility of doing of doing that on television. I'm not. I'm not quite sure. But um, but yeah, it's um, big gun at home to Minnow is is right. never quite as exciting, is it? I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm a self-professed, hopeless football romantic. That's fine. I take, I, I, I stand guilty of that charge. But one of the moments the FA Cup third round for me was Chesterfield scoring that late goal and their fans going mad as if they'd just gone 2-0 up. I think that is what it's all about. Um, Everton fans are going mad similarly at the, the whole game. <laughs> uh, despite their come-from-behind win, Adrian, uh, mm. did that mark a kind of a further step in, in, in the uh, unhappiness with Rafa Benitez despite the victory? It was difficult to tell what was going on in terms of who was singing you're getting sacked in the morning. I, I think it seems to come from all corners of the stadium. It was as if the home fans from Hull were taunting Everton and then the Toffees fans did seem to join in. This was after 20 minutes. And I've got to say that Everton were shambolic in the first 20 minutes of this match. They were all over the place. It was as if they'd just met and 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 they were very lucky not to not to be two or three nil down early on, and it's not anything new. Um, if you look at their first half record, Everton this season in the Premier League, they've scored five and conceded fourteen, mm. minus nine goal difference in the first half. They've scored the opening goal in four of eighteen matches. They consistently start poorly. Their last is it the last eight games they've conceded the first goal in. So presumably Rafa Benitez has hammered that in as. as as they say, to his players. So what do you take from that as a former player yourself if they then go out and concede after 45 seconds? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's concentration levels, isn't it? You've got to, you've got to look at the there players. Is. Not, yeah. That, yeah, there aren't any. Um, of course the manager will be planting the seed, but maybe by planting the seed, sometimes it creates that doubt. It reinforces hmm. the, the issue, doesn't it? It depends on the character of the players. I felt that organisation-wise, they were a complete mess in the first 20 minutes. And that would fall on Rafa Benitez to some degree. But, and I said this at the final whistle, you've got to cut some slack on Rafa here. The heat should be off him a little bit on the back of the result because they faced adversity and they came back from it. And, and they even it, when it went to 2-2, again, the home fans were, were up for it. They were on the rocks. And they came again and, and they won the game. So it was by no means a disastrous performance. They were actually very, very exciting going forward. Damari Gray was sensational, um, but at the back, awful. One thing I'd like to say on Hull is bravo for the tactics. Absolute pure adventure from Grant McCann. He basically played with three at the back and wing backs, but the wing backs stayed up front. They barely tracked back. So they left a 3v3 against Everton's forward line throughout the game and it just made for one of the best matches I've seen live in a in a long, long time. It was you attack, we attack and, and Hull were, were unlucky really to get on the wrong side of that defeat. Well, they get their first away win since August. Who have they got in the fourth round? Everton have got Brentford, Brentford. at home in the next Ooh, round. Yeah, Brentford. So, uh, 
yeah. non-TV yeah. game. Get it on the TV, Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just on the subject of Boreham Wood, their manager, Luke Garrard, he had vowed to get them into the fourth round. He got them into the third round last year and they got beaten by Millwood at the time that was in front of empty stands because of you know the COVID restrictions. But he said he was determined to go a step further this time to repay the loyalty of the club's chairman, who, when football was shut down, basically remortgaged his house to keep paying all the Borenwood staff their full salaries. Remarkable stuff. He's also incredibly young. He, he was appointed in October 2015 and he's only 36 now. So I think he was the youngest manager in the country when he was appointed. And that's a bit of a theme in the National League at the moment. Half the managers in that league are, are 41 and under, I think. And I think it used to be that league a kind of grisly old head. Uh, you know, it's a Martin What are you trying Allen to say, league. Daniel? I played in that league for a long time. <laughs> no, managers, managers. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. But it was kind of Martin, <laughs> I think of Martin Allen as the, as the kind of archetypal National League manager. And and it's different now. You've got Ian Birchall at Notts County. He's had a different route. You've got James Rowe at Chesterfield. He's only 38 and kind of come through this you know, remarkably different route. And then you've got Garrard, who's still only 36 and one of the youngest. It's a really exciting league, the National League now. And that is because most of the players are full-time in the National League. And because of the limitations financially, you have to really have the bulk of your squad being relatively young um, so that you can afford to, to pay them. So you've got young young teams, young managers. It does make sense. In the days where I played in it, where, where most teams were part-time, it was a case of players that were good enough to play in the league, but they had really good jobs and they, they didn't want to give up on their jobs. So a lot of the players were in their late 20s, 30s when I played in that division. So yeah, very, very different uh, landscape now. All right. Boreham Wood will be taking on Bournemouth. In round four, Bournemouth beat Yeovil 3-1. Let's wrap this part up with Cambridge United's 1-0 win away at St. James's. Cambridge 16th in League One, beating the richest club in the world, who admittedly do have one or two other issues. It's their first ever away win against the top flight side in FA Cup history. It also means they've beaten as many Premier League sides this season <laughs> as Newcastle have. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people picking out Joe Ironside, who scored the only goal. Used to go along to St James's. We heard to watch Alan Shearer. Dimitar Mitov, though the keeper, had an outstanding performance. He was brilliant, wasn't he? It's it's sort of part of the giant killing check sheet, isn't it? You need your goalkeeper to have a nine or ten out of ten display, and he definitely did. Newcastle probably should have scored a few in the first half, but, but what happened? And this can happen if you if you stay in the game. The pressure just ramps up doesn't it on, on on the big gun and Newcastle crumbled in that second half when when they needed to be inventive when they needed to be creative and fluid and and all of those things they they just weren't they clammed up and it got easier for Cambridge United the longer this match went on so yeah absolutely sensational team effort from Cambridge United Mark Bonner what a story no background at all as a player he's basically a, a, a guy that took up coaching as a, as a youngster that started out, you know, locally, got into Cambridge United, the club he supports, worked with the really young players. And just because he was very good at what he did at each level, they kept promoting him. And in the end, he ends up first team manager and, and he's doing a fine job. I mean, they've only won once in League One since the 2nd of November. So the context of this win is, is even more special based on that. But I see this... To be honest, even though it's the, the most glorious day in Cambridge United's history, the truth is, it's no different, in my view, than Cambridge going to Blackburn and winning 1-0 or Bournemouth <laughs> because that's that's 
the standard Newcastle are. Well, spare, spare a thought as well for Kieran Trippier for a debut. Mm. Because that's all we've been reading about all week. And I, I wonder if he's now contemplating that move to Tyneside. <laughs> Hugely unfortunate though, with Trippier, the new signing on the field, and Amanda Staveley in, the, uh, in no way connected to the royal family, a new board on hand uh, in the stands to lose there to, uh, to Cambridge United. It's strange anyway. they happen to meet each other in the stands, isn't it? <laughs> Weird how the seating goes. Anyway, we've got more of that FA Cup third round coming up next. Hi again, listeners. It's Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power here. Antonio Conte sent for the cavalry and as a result avoided FA Cup humiliation at the hands of Morecambe last Sunday, but the Italian would have been as angry as a bull having to watch his side try by a goal to the League One outfit up until the 74th minute. Tankian Dembele left the field to a chorus of boos and the Frenchman took an absolute age to walk off the pitch. It was as if he wanted to give every Spurs fan a fair chance of hitting him with a tomato. I just hope he had a muleta in his gear bag, as one can be sure Conte was planning on locking horns with the underperforming stroppy midfielder afterwards. In terms of the next assignment for Spurs, they play host to Chelsea in the second leg of their League Cup semi-final. They trail 2-0 from the first leg and have their work cut out for them as Chelsea come into the game unbeaten in 10 in all comps and on the back of a couple of cup wins after a recent wobble over the festive period. In terms of the betting, Spurs are the slight favourites of 8-5. The draw is 21-10 and the Chelsea win is 13-8. The Blues look the safe bet, but Spurs have a fighting chance with the former Chelsea and Milan boss in their corner. Conte's home record has been very good since his arrival in North London. He has won seven and drew once. His side have also managed to score at least a couple of goals in those games, and that's something they will need to do on Wednesday night if they are to dig themselves out of the hole they now find themselves in after a lacklustre first leg. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or indeed the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org and remember, take time to think. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Most cup football league game of the round was probably Barnsley 5, Barrow 4 on Saturday. League 2 Barrow, who were 2-0 down and down to 10 men at half-time. But they still managed to take the game back to 4-4, forcing extra time. Also, the nine goals came from the first 10 shots on target. Remarkable wow. stuff. Did you see the goals? I mean, it was it was a goal of the month collection all in it, on its own right. The, the one, my, one of my favourites... Defending was, of the month as well. Yeah. My, my absolute favourite was the free kick where the Barrow player basically just lashed it as hard as he could from 30 yards. Ross Joyce blows the whistle. Holy Banks stutters his run up. Takes a strike, Holy Banks! And what a strike, Holy Banks! They said you wanted to see an FA Cup goal. You've just seen one there from the barrel skipper. It makes you wonder why all these players look to clip it over the wall and go for these cute little curlers. Sometimes just put your laces through it and smack it as hard as you can. And, and that's what he did. And it was, it was sensational. I mean... If ever there was a match where there was zero glory in, in victory, it has to be for Barnsley, conceding four goals against ten men. That is just humiliating, really. That free kick reminded me, I think it was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank scored one at Old Trafford for Chelsea once, and it was a very Hasselbank thing where he's just like, he's almost annoyed at people trying to curl the ball. Like, just kick it as hard as you can, it will go in. <laughs> um, milestone game of the weekend was probably a toss-up between Plymouth's 1-0 win at Birmingham 
uh, which featured Jude Bellingham's 16-year-old brother Job and making his uh, first appearance, and also the first female referee in the third round. But uh, probably pipping that for Milestone Game, etc., was Stoke Late Norian, which finished 2-0 to the Potters, and featured Ian Wright's grandson making his professional debut. Oh, my debut. word, that must make him feel so old. No, proud, I think. Proud. He's been a granddad for 20 years. This kid's 20. Oh. It's, yeah. it's remarkable, really. <laughs> so... Not only that, but uh, the goals were scored uh, for Stoke by uh, Tyrese Campbell, son of Ian's former teammate Kevin Campbell, and Tom Ince, who, yes, is still Paul Ince's son. Anyway, all right. Uh, Nottingham Forest on Sunday beating Arsenal 1-0. Daniel, I forgot to ask, were you wearing a jacket marked press when you sat in the press box or not? Uh, good. Good reference to the greatest tweet of the weekend by a long way. Um no, I wasn't. I, and I also, I'd like to say, I did keep it together. I did a sort of slight fist bump when the goal went in. And right. I did a, a very subdued sort of three small little claps at the final whistle and then, <laughs> nice, then nice. got on with it. Uh, I mean, the Forest Press was, Adrian might well have been there and Lindsay yeah. might well have been there, but it is it is so close to the supporters. I mean, it, it's too close to the supporters. You're basically sat in a row behind them. And um, yeah, the the problem that is is when you play a big club and it's an exciting game is that fans tend to stand up and you basically have to end up standing up and watching the game yourself but all part of the fun how hard was it to cover as well with arsenal's kit featuring a white shirt with white names and white numbers yeah i mean it, it was hard but the the interesting thing for me is and i didn't realize this until i got home and saw a picture of him on twitter is that i was walking through the forest car park and i walked past someone and thought that guy looks like idris elba <laughs> then I got home and saw that Idris Elba had been on the ITV cover. I was like, oh, oh, that was Idris Elba. That's fine. And the link being that Idris Elba was supporting the No More Red campaign, which right. is why he was at the city ground in the first place, because you saw this shot of him in the crowd. And I think people were thinking, does Idris Elba come and watch Forest every week? Um, he, will now, he will now, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he was on ITV with Ian Wright, uh, who, who's, who's helped him in the... In this initiative, which uh, obviously very commendable, uh, to raise awareness of, of, of knife crime in London, certainly no more of uh, Arsenal's red in this tournament. They go out. Uh, the winners, Forest, will be hosting uh, the holders, Leicester, mm. in round four. Understandably, that is a big tie around these parts as well. Yeah, um, Forest and Derby is the the kind of rivalry everyone knows about, but Forest and Leicester is a kind of weirdly a slightly sort of more, not more bitter, but slightly sort of more snide and more nasty rivalry, I think. There was a game a few years ago where it was basically a, a playoff to see who would finish in the playoffs on the final day of the season and Leicester scored a last-minute goal at the city ground to, to do that. So, ill-feeling Flip that round, Daniel, as well, because mm. you're saying it from a Forest point of view and I understand that Derby's a bigger game for Forest, but who is the bigger game for Leicester than Forest? Yeah, I think I think Leicester Forest is Forest. Weirdly, uh, Sheffield United would probably consider bigger rivals than Leicester um, because of of history of the fixture and stuff. But um, yeah, I think left for, for for Leicester. I think it probably is Forest. The other way, it would be Coventry for Leicester, which I don't really think is a derby at all. So yes, it is a it is a grudge match. I will be on the other side of the world, thank goodness. <laughs> so I won't be right. seeing it at the Afcon. Very indeed. Exciting. Nice. Elsewhere, Liverpool and Spurs both trailed at home to League One opposition before winning 4-1 and 3-1, respectively, against uh, Shrewsbury and Morecambe. Uh, Firmino's gold against Shrewsbury, classic uh, Roberto Firmino. <laughs> that back heel. Yeah. 
through a body of players as well. I always think that mm. must be quite embarrassing if you've got two defenders around him as they did and, and you managed to get a back heel through. It's a bit embarrassing. Somewhat. Spurs, yeah, they were in some trouble uh, with Morecambe, but eventually bringing on the big guns saw them through. Chelsea, no great difficulties for them. A lot of love for Lewis Hall, 17-year-old and man of the match, I think, no, in, in the 5-1 victory. That is kind of the perfect way to be a youngster in the FA Cup in that, in that Thomas Tuchel picked a, a very strong team, a stronger team than, you know, I spoke to, to Chesterfield's manager James Rowe last week um, and he was kind of, we were sort of, after the interview, we were talking about which players might start and he didn't think players like Romelu Lukaku or Timo Werner would start and, and did. So it was a, an extraordinary strong team. And yet I think that helps a player like Hall because it means you've got experience around you. You can try things knowing that there are players behind you. You're not letting anyone down. You're not selling any of your, you know, your, your youth teammates short, your under 23 teammates short. So the perfect environment for a young player to come in, I think. What was so special about his performance? I mean, he's just his composure uh, on the ball, and you know, players look the part. He 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 robbed the ball for um, for Romelu Lukaku's goal. He robbed the ball off a defender. But he, I think, when you have senior pros around you, they make life so much easier because inevitably you you are seen as the like it or not, you're seen as the weakest player in that team by opponents. So when you get the ball, opponents are more likely to be looking after Romelu Lukaku and Hakim Ziyech and Timo Werner because they're afraid of those players embarrassing you, which can give you a little bit more time in the ball. But he he looked incredibly composed doing that. I should say, almost every single Chelsea Academy graduate you see when they come in the team does that because that's the whole point of that model. They're preparing you for it. They're preparing you to enjoy your time on the ball and uh, they are incredibly developed when they come into the by the time they come in the first team. On the flip side to that, obviously Charlie Patino at Arsenal was given his first start surrounded by first team players. Mm. But he was very unlucky, I thought, in that he was surrounded by first team players that were not at the races and yeah. it can impact it won't impact his career prospects because I think that he's really highly thought of but this is his big chance to impress and when you're surrounded by players that aren't playing very well it just makes life so much more difficult than it would have been for Lewis Hall so it's it's so much of of a young player's impact um on debuts or whatnot is is on the the environment around them Timing, uh, fortune, you're talking about all these factors. Exactly. I heard you guys talking as well about the draw and how a a luck plays an element there for Chelsea because you were saying that they always seem to get a good draw. Mm. Wouldn't teams just trade an easier draw for a player, one of your best players? We'll take those (laughs) out, that's fine, but we'll just have a nicer run through to the final. How how do you mean? (laughs) Well, you... I think the way that the draw falls, there's an element right. of fortune to that, right? Oh, so if you're that yeah. team, you can't pay for luck, can you? And no. oh, clearly, nothing, nothing untoward is going on. But Chelsea, when they're when they're pulled out of that bag, you just know it's going to be a nice draw. And again, they got didn't they get Plymouth? They've got Plymouth. Yeah, it's not, they've not got a nice draw now. They have got Plymouth. <laughs> Plymouth. Right. Palace, Adrian, have got Hartlepool, who saw off Blackpool. Uh, at the weekend, you wanted to talk to us about their 2-1 victory over Millwall. Yeah, it was a really good game. Unbelievable noise levels at, at the New Den, and it's particularly in the first half, where it was all Millwall. They were the aggressors. Palace were like Arsenal. They hadn't really turned up. They didn't look like they fancied it. But Vieira clearly got stuck into them at the half-time, and, and the messages that he gave the players were bang on. And, and what I loved about 
their revival in the second half was their use of Michael Elise. Such a talented player for Reading. He's got a golden left foot. Real, real talent, this boy. And he scored a great goal, didn't he, at the start of the second half. And then basically it was get the ball to Conor Gallagher. Conor Gallagher, he gets the ball to Michael Elise, who runs at Malone, I think it was, the Millwall left back. And it was rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And, and it was, he was the standout player in that game by a country mile. It was, it was a spectacular individual performance for, for Michael Elise. And, and I do think that we'll be hearing a lot more about, about this boy because he's got, he's got that ability to duck inside and score great goals. Um, this time it was against Millwall, but there's no reason why he can't be doing that against Premier League teams either. Olise, who scored the equaliser for Palace and also set up the winner, uh, this after Jack Butland's um, dallying on the ball had allowed Millwall to open the scoring. Yeah, I don't think we should let that slide either. I don't think <laughs> enough people are talking about Jack Butland on the verge of being the next England great at one point um, and being talked about in that regard anyway. And there was a horrible moment in this one. There have been a few horrible moments. Could you even see him moving on from Palace? Well, he needs to be loved. I think when he was a young player, he was the next bright big thing. Everybody was talking about him in a positive way. And I remember seeing him in the flesh quite a few times and thinking, yeah, this kid, this kid is too good for the level. He's going going to climb the leagues. And he did. But then when he got there, he made one or two mistakes and he got axed. And it was quite brutal. And it was, it's how you react to your first disappointment as a footballer. I think that is absolutely crucial. The same could be said for anything in life. You can sail along smoothly, can't you, as a, as, a, as a kid? Then you get into the big grown-up world and things start to go wrong for you. And it's how you respond to that. Do you continue to believe in yourself and keep pushing and keep pushing to get where you want to be? Or do you let that that lack of confidence alter alter your performance? And and I think that might have been what's happened to Jack Butland down the years. He's been a number two for a long, long time now. And, and that's not a great place to be for a footballer. It's because you're... Perennially unwanted. Every time the manager names his starting eleven and you're not on it, in effect you're 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 unwanted, and that's that's a difficult thing I think to get into into a player's head. He needs to be a number one somewhere, even if it means going down the leagues. Yeah, I mean he was he, he obviously he, he he was in the Stoke team, but in the Championship, and clearly had ambitions of getting back into the Premier League. But Palace was always an odd move, and that he was unless anything drastic changed, he was always going to be number two behind Vincent Geiter. And I just just seems such a strange move for a player who desperately needed football because it's so hard as a goalkeeper. You know, it's an obvious thing to say, but any other position on the pitch, even without injury, you're likely to get five, ten games a season to build your confidence. That doesn't happen as a goalkeeper. So it's such a strange move to go to Palace. And, and because they're not, you know, they're not a, a European heavyweight club. So you aren't going to get to play every cup game necessarily and he's still not first choice. Yeah, can I just say it's something that's hard for players to get their head around but some can handle it and some can just accept right. accept where they're at. And a good friend of mine, one of my best friends um, from my playing days, uh, particularly at Southend United, is Martin Margotson who basically when he, he left Southend he, he went to some bigger clubs where he was number two and he was number two for the bulk of his career really at the outset Manchester City and yeah, he, he spent far more games on the bench than he did out there on the pitch. What's happened to him? He's now the, the England goalkeeping coach and he's having a tremendously successful career 
in in that genre really he was he was working at West Ham with Sam Allardyce and various clubs and 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 it's worked out great for him maybe because he had that time to think actually while I'm sat here I'm going to learn the craft of goalkeeping coaching and then when it came to to, to retiring he was ready to make that transition um, for somebody like Jack surely um, he, he just needs to play all right all have a great future in managing uh, Lindsay we should we should touch on Wolves. Yeah. Who, who in yeah. one of the most remarkable results of the weekend, uh, <laughs> left their, their binary scoring ways behind to, to notch up three goals against Sheffield United. Uh, Alex Gonzalez uh, pointing out prior to this game that at the halfway stage in the Premier League, 19 matches in, Wolves had scored 14 and conceded 14. In the entire 133-year history of top-flight English football, no team had ever been involved in fewer goals after 19 league games. Craigie, are they as dull as that stat makes them sound? No, they're not. I mean, it is a remarkable stat. It is remarkable. Um, they're limited, I think is the word. Um, and what we've seen since the return of Daniel Pedence into the into the squad has been that right. he's really lifted everyone. You can see Jimenez playing better around him, Semedo, who scored in this one. The movement um, in attack has been much better since Pedence has been back up front. So I think with Neto also rumoured to be... Uh, returning very soon. I don't know. I mean, he was originally earmarked for February, so we we must take it that he's going to be on schedule from from the latest reports. Um, I think you can probably see Wolves kick on in the second part of the season, get more goals. I was pleased to see three, especially in this match, because I thought Sheffield United played well. I don't think it was a a give me by any stretch of the imagination. I think Sheffield United put up a good fight. They had some good opportunities. Um, There was a goal line clearance pretty much again from, from Connor Cody, which we're getting used to seeing at the minute. But to see three goals scored, yes, it is a, a relief, James, as a Wolves mm. fan, because one nil to the Arsenal, that that tune and that chant is going to change soon. If not, it'll be one nil <laughs> to the Wanderers. Yeah, <laughs> I've got some uh, for, for XG lovers out there. I've got some data on on Wolves in the absence of, of Duncan. Uh, right, expected goals nineteen point six four. So they should have scored five or six more than they have. Right. But this is really interesting. The, the XG against, so they've conceded 14. According to, to our pals at Opta, they should have conceded 23.7, which is nine or 10 extra, um, wow. which says a lot, I think, about the brilliance of Jose Sarr this season right. and um, a little bit of good fortune al- along the way. So they're, they're much more exciting, um, according to the stats, than, than they are in real life. <laughs> Playing into my theme of I'd rather be lucky than talented. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, Norwich are Wolves opponents in the fourth round. All right. Uh, there you go. That's the third round winners and losers. Should mention maybe a couple of players just before we move on to other things. And Dombele, who was roundly booed by Spurs fans when he trudged off in their game against Morecambe. And also Nuno Tavares, who was ruthlessly hooked by Mikel Arteta after, what, a half hour, Adrian? Yeah, and he was lucky to last that long, to be honest. Really? If, honestly, if I, if I was in Mikel Arteta's shoes there, I, I would have done the same thing. He, he was unlucky in that he was playing right next to Arteta. And we know how immersed he gets in, into matches. But I've, I've had the um, unpleasant experience of having to watch that match for a second time already for some analysis and and he was even worse on on second viewing it was it was absolutely the right call almost everything that he did positionally was poor everything he did on the ball was was sloppy and 
And managers aren't there, are they, to to make players feel better or to prevent them feeling humiliated? They're there to win the game and to get the best out of their team. And hmm. and whether you come off after half an hour, 45, 60, if you're not doing it, you can't have any complaints. And Tavares was not anywhere near the standard that he needed to be. It was, it was, it was a really poor... Yeah, previously he'd been regarded as one of the kind of surprises, one of the bright novelties of, of uh, this this good run of form for Arsenal. Mm. What's happened? He'd been keeping Tierney out of the side, hadn't he? I think when he came in for, for Tierney, he was hungry to impress and and that's what really stood out. In this game, it felt like he, he wanted to coast through it without being fully switched on. You can't play against teams like Nottingham Forest and not be switched on in an FA Cup third round tie. And, and, you and, haven't yeah, watched I make, as much. I make Arteta right. <laughs> I, I, we should also say that if, our, if he hadn't done his homework and didn't know what he was going to expect, mm. then Brennan Johnson and Jed Spence was a, yeah. a heck of a combination on Sunday afternoon. Spence is, you know, I'm afraid of talking up too much because I want him to stay at Forest, but he's going to be in the Premier League next season with us or with Middlesbrough, who who he's on loan from to us at the moment. And it's hard to fathom how Middlesbrough have not found a place for him in the squad because he was he was by a, a distance the best player on the pitch yesterday. And the, that, the combination of him kind of bombing on from, from right back and also Brennan Johnson doing exactly the same on the right wing is it's not easy for a, for a left-back when, you know, Martinelli is not... I mean, he's more of an attacking. He's not really used to tracking back to left back, is he? So, I think I, think, I felt for him a little bit. Read, read the game, though. Read the game. Yeah, yeah, that, this was the issue. It, Arsenal kept losing the ball when Tavares was pushed high on. So what he needed to do was just make his starting position a little bit safer, so that just in case, you know, defenders should always think just in case, just in case, just in case. And Tavares wasn't; he was just quite reckless in his positioning. And Arsenal kept losing the ball, and they used, there was this hole, just such an inviting hole for those two, two speed merchants to run into. So yeah, I think I think it was um, yeah a bit of a disaster down that side of the field. Mm. All right. Well, is that the last? Nottingham Forest Arsenal chat we'll be having in this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> but for now, let's move on to other things, including the match which Daniel Story rated the biggest surprise of the weekend. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line. We're talking to Joe in Newcastle and Greg in Norwich. How are you feeling, gents? Oh, uh, yeah, good. Optimistic, Paddy. Uh, but your team's at the bottom of the table. Why are you so happy? Well, I think I speak for Norwich and Newcastle fans everywhere when I say we really fancy our chances of uh, winning the championship next year. Silver linings, eh? Just like with Paddy Power's Bet Builder, where you get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down. Paddy Power applies to pre-match online bet builder bets with minimum four legs of at least one to five odds each. Max free bet ten pounds per day excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Totally Football League shows out on Monday. Amongst the many talking points will no doubt be the phenomenal 3-3 draw between Wickham Wanderers and Sunderland on Saturday. Wanderers equalising in the 98th minute. Totally Football Show European edition will be out first thing Monday, oh no, sorry, Tuesday morning. And among the stories there, without question, Roma, Juventus, Sunday tea time. Three Englishmen in uh, Jose Mourinho's starting eleven for Roma. Uh, Tammy Abraham, Chris Smalling, and the newly arrived Ainsley Maitland-Niles. How did that work out? Well, Roma were 3-1 up against uh, Juve after about an hour. Seven minutes later, we're 4-3 down. Oh, my goodness. Total meltdown. We'll get James Horncastle's reaction to that and all the rest of the European news and views. When's the Athletic Women's Football Show out next, Lindsay? That's on Tuesday, James. Right. Um, we will be dissecting in mega detail this shock result of the weekend. All right. Tell us about it. Uh, Birmingham so Birmingham against Arsenal Um, what I should preface this with um, working for Sky now doing all the WSL coverage is that originally this this game was not going to be televised Um, due to Covid there were postponements Um, we didn't have the Spurs Chelsea match um, on Friday evening at Kings Meadow that went Um, and then West Ham against Manchester United that went everyone came together it was a real huge effort to try and get um, the OB to St Andrews but we made it work and we managed to go there for Birmingham against Arsenal and arriving there everyone was thinking well you know bottom versus top not really going to be too much to, to talk about here it's going to be a routine win for Arsenal but wow we saw a very different Birmingham team so Darren Carter's come in with Marcus Bignot on the coaching team who's been at Birmingham for a very long time had a brief spell over at Aston Villa and is back now and they have had all the winter break to work tirelessly on this structure of new formation. Um, And you could see it from the off, from the moment they kicked off in this game, uh, Birmingham had a new desire, a new organisation like I'd never seen. And combine that with the fact that Arsenal women had the worst 45 minutes that I've seen them have all season. It was no surprise that they managed to get a goal. So they got an early goal. Libby Smith was, was sent through. And, and there looked like there was an element of potential fortune in that, in the, in the sense that the ball broke kindly, she finished it, but you could see that if Arsenal clicked, they might come back and get a few goals. So I think it was the second goal that really did it. And you could see um, player of the match, Sari, there was a close-up on her face and the expression when she when she scored. You could just see what it meant. I spoke to her about it afterwards as well. And she she said she'd watched, watched Arsenal growing up and what it felt like to just score against them. It, it was just surreal for her. But they deserve that Birmingham. I think anyone who comes to this scoreline and thinks, you know, what happened here? Was it just an off day for Arsenal? Well, yes, it was. But it was very much an on day for Birmingham City. And now they've leapfrogged Leicester. Um, they have a chance of surviving. Birmingham didn't win a single league game in the whole of the calendar year 2021, but they win their first one in 2022. Arsenal hadn't lost a match all season, uh, and it was a lovely interview you did afterwards. Uh, Lindsay, did you also interview uh, Jonas Eideville? Yes, can I make Who a little complaint? insisted on chewing gum all yes. the way through it. Yes, 
I was going to say, can I make a complaint that what should I do in that situation? Should I ask him to take it out or I don't know? I mean, it's his decision. But if you're the manager of the top of the table team who've just been beaten by bottom of the table, Birmingham 2-0, maybe you don't want to be just insouciantly chewing your gum. Through it looks a bit petulant, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. yeah. It was just, I mean, Lindsay referred to it, but the, the difference that makes for the relegation battle is massive, isn't it? Because yeah. everyone kind of assumed when Leicester beat Birmingham that... Leicester and a new manager had kind of got themselves out of trouble because neither of them would win another game this season. And not only have Birmingham won that game, but beating the best team in the league must make Leicester think, obviously they lost at Reading yesterday, must make them think, well, if they can beat Arsenal, they can probably beat other teams as well. Yeah, and on the same day, like you say, there was that wonder goal from Tash Dowie for Reading. I mean, that was a huge game for Leicester. They would have thought that against Reading, they might be able to, even if it was a point, it could have got them a a tad bit of breathing space in this relegation battle. Um, But no, it was a lovely goal, that, that chip. Um, to chip the keeper from from Dowie. I think that probably will be goal of the month or it will certainly be up there. Um, I I think it's made it really interesting. I I really like what Leicester have done though and I can't help but feel like I don't want them to go down because of the infrastructure they've put in place, the investment. They're doing it all right. And we know that Birmingham, as much as I love seeing them galvanise and the togetherness of the squad, we know that behind the scenes at the club, it's been disappointing the way that they've treated their women's team. So it's a really hard one for your conscience to negotiate. But hmm. um, look, you know, let, let them have their day. Let them also take it to the wire because that's that's great for us watching, isn't it? On the Birmingham Arsenal game, very quickly, two managers, Darren Carter and Jonas Adevel. How old are they? 38? National, are they both 38? Nas- yeah, oh. National League has, has yeah. a bunch of managers in their 30s. The WSL is clearly going down that route as well. I'm, I'm just so past it as a, as a manager. Not that I'm ever going to be one, but just so past it. There was someone sat near me that went to their first um, game at St Andrews to watch that and hadn't seen Viv Miedemar up close and turned to me afterwards and said, don't think that number 11 for Arsenal is very good. <laughs> I had to sort of laugh and think, well, you've just caught her on a really, really bad day. Uh, she is probably one of the best players in the league. There you go. That's Arsenal getting beaten by Birmingham. Also on Sunday, AFCON got underway. Daniel, presumably you've been all across this in and amongst yeah. all your other Yeah, I was um, duties. a second... I was second screening from the city ground for for this one, yeah. I, um, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it started in kind of stereotypically Afcon fashion with a ludicrous challenge in the first forty seconds of the match. That uh, I know we talked about this last weekend with a with a Mane elbow, but if that had been any time after the first minute of the match, I think probably would have been a red card. Uh, they do have VAR at, at Afcon, uh, and then yeah, Cameroon looked like they were going to implode by conceding a goal with Andre Onana kind of coming steaming out. He's, he's just come back after this nine-month controversial drug ban and seemed to want to make all of his saves and movements for the last nine months in one half <laughs> and got caught out. Uh, they went 1-0 down, but then, yeah, they, they were the beneficiaries of two penalties, both of which were penalties, clear. And uh, Vincent Abubakar scored goals one and two of AFCON, which I think... I think he might well be the top scorer in the tournament at Cameroon and get to the semi-finals because they are so reliant on him. They didn't they didn't pick Eric Maxim Tupamoting, which was a surprise. I think I, mm. I expected him to start up front with Abu Bakar, but yeah, I think he leads the line and scored both penalties and Cameroon get the win they needed. Right, the way he stared down the keeper uh, for the second of them was yeah, uh, particularly lovely. impressive. That was a 2-1 win for the hosts. 
to kick off the tournament Sunday night then. Cape Verde secured their first AFCON win in nine years, beating 10-man Ethiopia 1-0. What have you got that kind of highlighted of the matches coming up before you head out? I see Nigeria-Egypt on Tuesday. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's the big game of the, the group stage. Morocco-Ghana as well uh, on Monday as we record. Let me just check that that's Mondays. Romain Saïs playing for Morocco. Uh, very good, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, we've got Morocco, Ghana at four o'clock on on Monday, and then yeah, as you say, Nigeria, Egypt, which is the game of the group stage on Tuesday, and Tunisia, Mali on Wednesday, which is also a pretty big game in terms of the biggest two teams in that group. Excellent, lots of midweek action in the Premier League, also a League Cup semi final. You've got Spurs facing Chelsea, Tottenham two 0 down after the first leg, and no Son Heung Min as well. He picked up a muscle injury in the first leg, and apparently will be out for the rest of January. So uh, a bit of a blow there for Antonio Conte as he tries to turn around that 2-0 first leg deficit. Everton-Leicester, which was scheduled for Tuesday in the Premier League, that's now off. As per Leicester's request, they cited COVID cases, injuries and players away at AFCON. So you're left with, in league terms, Southampton, Brentford and West Ham, Norwich. What are you looking forward to, Adrian? Um, I think... Southampton, Brentford, because West Ham, Norwich is a, is a foregone conclusion, isn't it? I mean, any 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 Norwich game, you, you, you can't really fancy them. Obviously, it's the dawn of a new era at St Mary's with with a new ownership there, and it's the former bees man, isn't it, uh, Ankerson? Mm. That's it's his company that that have come in. So so you can expect a data driven approach moving forwards, a la. Brentford, so it's interesting times for for, for the Saints, and uh, and obviously it's quite fitting that they're playing again against the Bees in, in the opening match of the new new regime. Um, while I'm while I'm on this, can I just say that I disagree with Ralph Hasenhutl's, um theory on? Uh, so he suggested that players who were signed in January shouldn't be allowed to take part in fixtures that were re- rearranged from before they signed for their new yeah. clubs. I just think it's nonsense. I just think you, you've got to roll with the punches. Matches can get, get postponed, can't they? For sp- snow, rain, fog, whatever. And we then, were having this yeah. chat in a press box um, at the weekend and, and yeah. somebody pointed out about injuries. You might have a fixture yeah. where a key player's injured and then they're not injured all, all of a sudden. Well, I right. think what he's, he's basically saying is, what he's doing here is accusing a team like Newcastle of deliberately delaying a fixture, which is quite a strong thing to say. Um, I think we, we all suspect that there's been a little bit of gaming of the system here, but, but I, I absolutely would, would disagree with um, with punishing players because that's effectively what you're doing. You're going to punish a new signing, going to ban them from a game for, for, for no fault of their own, really. I, I think the rules, the rules are absolutely wrong on these postponements. Obviously, the Leicester one, they've just beaten Watford. They've put out a perfectly strong first 11, you know, even had a, a star name on the bench in that one. And, and then because the rules are different in the Premier League, they're allowed to call it off. What's AFCON got to do with it? What, what What's an injury crisis got to do with it? It should be COVID cases only. It should be a, a fixed percentage of players that have played for your first team. If 25%, 30% of, of your first team players, and that's players that have played, have COVID, you can get to call the game off. Th- this current setup is is open to so much um, so much abuse. The, and the backstory, obviously, is that with, with the... 
the discussion over vaccination rates in the Premier League is that, you know, it's, it's been said before, but it's not just players with COVID. It's the players who are unvaccinated that are therefore having to isolate because they've come into contact with players who have COVID. And teams with high vaccination rates would say, well, that punishes us because, you know, we don't get to do that. And you do just because you haven't managed to get your players vaccinated. And I know it's a personal choice, but there are means of persuading players to do that and having that get out that games can be postponed till further down the line mm. has the opposite motivational effect I think mm. by the way that suggestion by Ralph Hazard, that actually happens in France if you weren't at the club or were suspended at the time of the original fixture you can't play in the rearranged game crikey West Ham against Norwich you say Adrian is a foregone conclusion but I put it to you that Norwich haven't won at West Ham since March 1989 oh yeah maybe you have a point fair enough <laughs> <laughs> Who can say, though? Who can say, though? Particularly after a weekend of upsets such as we have seen. Anybody give Spurs a chance of turning it around against Chelsea? Uh, no, and no. neat segue in. Human Son is also is not available, and I'll be surprised if we see Tango and Dombele as well, because um, he had a... Uh, we talked about Nuno Tavares' early substitution, and Dombele's wasn't particularly early, but it was certainly... Um, yeah, he certainly caused a reaction. He was booed off by Tottenham fans, having shown little to no application. And I think he slightly suffers sometimes in that that's his style. He's quite a, you know, insouciant, quite a laid-back player, for better and for worse. But Spurs fans are sick of seeing underperformance from a club record signing. And all the noise is coming out of Spurs on Sunday evening with it, both player, club, agent, manager are happy for this relationship to end as soon as possible. The issue is trying to find someone to either pay the fee if it's a permanent deal or the wages if it's a loan deal. Mm. Take your mind back to that slow, steady, methodical walk off the pitch when he was subbed. And that is the moment that you can detect and feel the last embers of patience within Dombele from the Spurs fans just ebbing away. Yeah. Um, that's it. I think I think his time is is done. All right, then. You might feel, listener, that ours is too with this totally <laughs> football show after a uh, after a bit of a romp through all the delights of that FA Cup third round and more besides. We'll, we'll, we'll park it there for now. Many, many thanks to Adrian, to Daniel and to Lindsay and producer Charlie. Uh, of course, uh, we will be back on Thursday with the outcome of that. Spurs-Chelsea game and much, much more as we look forward to whatever the weekend holds. But for now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.